Ladies and gentlemen, this evening's performance of Illuminations will begin in two minutes. Here we go. During the show, please watch your step and take small children firmly by the hand. W Radio, your information station. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. This is show number 105 for the week of February 8th, 2009. And as always, I am your host, Lou Mangello. We're going to kick off this week's show with some news from Walt Disney World before climbing aboard my Wayback Machine for another trip back in time and to the future as we look at the world showcase that never was. Ryan Wilson joins me to explore some pavilions in World Showcase that were closer to being built than you might think, other concepts that never made it off the drawing board, and even some additions to current pavilions that we never got to see. We'll take a look at what might have been and also peek ahead and discuss what may be coming to the promenade in the future. And at the end, I'm going to ask you for your opinion on the future of World Showcase. I'll open up the inbox once again and answer many more of your emails this week with the help of Becky Mankin. We'll walk around the world, take a look at birthdays, music, romance, animatronics, and so much more as we answer your questions and help you with some vacation planning advice and tips. I'll announce last week's Walt Disney World Trivia Contest winner before I give you a new set of challenges for this week's contest where you can win a prize package and even a bonus prize as well. Stay tuned to the end of the show for some announcements before I play back some of your voicemails. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. Let's take a look at this week's Walt Disney World news. We'll start in the Magic Kingdom, where more and more from the What Will You Celebrate campaign is being seen throughout the parks, including a new button cart outside of City Hall on Main Street, USA. The cart has an entire selection of new birthday, anniversary, honeymoon, first visit, and family reunion buttons, as well as a general I'm celebrating button, which you can use for just about anything. The buttons are free. They're available in all the parks. Again, the one on Main Street is available right outside of City Hall. Also, while you're in the Magic Kingdom, guests can also celebrate things like your marriage, other special events, over at the Tomorrowland Speedway, which now has tailgate signs that cast members can attach to the back of your car. Currently, guests can choose signs to help them celebrate their birthday, their honeymoon, or their anniversary. Just go ahead and tell the cast member when you're in the queue that you are celebrating one of those events. I have some unofficial updates to the Space Mountain and Tomorrowland Transit Authority refurbishment news that we've been talking about over the past few weeks. Both attractions are scheduled to close on April 19th, 2009, 
but the tentative and again unofficial reopening dates differ slightly and are as follows. The Tomorrowland Transit Authority is tentatively scheduled to reopen on or about August 19th, 2009, while Space Mountain is tentatively scheduled to reopen on or about November 22nd, 2009. Also, according to the Walt Disney World Annual Passholder Newsletter, the quote-unquote original elements from the serpentine track to the exterior silhouette will remain unchanged when it reopens later. So we can only wonder what the exact details of that refurb are going to consist of. The Walt Disney Company recently announced that they are making a donation for two three-year fellowships at Pittsburgh's Carnegie Mellon University in honor of the late professor Randy Pausch. His last lecture video was incredibly popular online, and his book of the same title was a bestseller. The Disney Memorial Pausch Fellowships will go to a fine arts student and a computer science major at Carnegie Mellon University, where Pausch was a teacher, and also gave his last lecture before succumbing to pancreatic cancer. Disney is also going to honor Pausch by placing a medallion near the Mad Tea Party in Fantasyland that's also going to feature the following passage from his book inscribed on it. Quote, Be good at something. It makes you valuable. Have something to bring to the table because that will make you more welcome. End quote. The tea party was selected because on his desk... Dr. Pausch always had a picture of his niece and nephew enjoying his favorite attraction. Over in Epcot, as I rumored some time ago, the Illuminations Inferno Barge is under refurbishment for what's expected to be a period of three to four weeks. So if you're going to Epcot to see Illuminations over the next few weeks, the show will go on, but will be without the Inferno Barge's effects. Another rumor in Epcot that seems to be confirmed is that by the fall of next year, a new tequila bar will open next to the San Angel Inn in the Mexico Pavilion. Now, observant visitors may already have noticed that the Casa Mexicana theme and the story and the exhibit has closed, and it's expected that Artesinias Mexicanas, the home decor shop, is going to move into that location with the tequila bar taking over that space. Also, it's expected that around that same time, the outdoor Cantina de San Angel will expand with more seating and a new menu. Moving over to the resorts, Bay Lake Tower at Disney's Contemporary Resort is scheduled to open on August 4th, 2009, with members who have that as their home resort being able to make reservations beginning today, Sunday, February 8th. Also today, members whose home resort is the new Treehouse Villas at Disney's Saratoga Springs Resort can also start making reservations. Owners can now book check-in dates up to January 8th, 2010 for both resorts. The treehouses are scheduled to open later on this summer, but no specific date has been released as yet. What we do know is that all 60 of the new treehouses will open simultaneously as opposed to being rolled out in waves or phases. Other DVC members may make reservations for Bay Lake Tower and the treehouse villas starting February 22nd, up to seven months in advance of their desired arrival date. Finally, just a little bit of pass holder news. If you're a Walt Disney World annual pass holder, I wanted to remind you to check your Mickey monitor when it comes in, as well as the website, because you might be missing out on some great benefits at home and in the parks, two of which I wanted to point out real quick. One, in downtown Disney, between February 1st and 28th, 2009, if you come in, bring your pass holder ID, you get a free pair of lanyards with pins. That's it. That's all you have to do, nothing to buy, uh, but their supplies are limited. And again, that's going to run out February 28th. 
Also, if you can't get down to the parks, don't forget you can use your pass as well at your local mall. Because if you go to the Disney store, show your pass, you save $10 on any purchase of $40 or more. And that offer ends on March 15th, 2009. Other great stuff, again, on the website in the Mickey Monitor, include other speaking events. If you're down in Walt Disney World, there's ones at Conservation Station and a great Muppets presentation by Craig Shaman from the uh, Henson Legacy Group. He was a guest on the show a few months back. So much more. Again, if you're an annual pass holder, I highly recommend you check out DisneyWorld.com slash passholder. If you want to discuss any of the news, go and visit the forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Or if you have any news that you want to share, anything you want to comment on, you can email me at Lou at WDWRadio.com. We all know that Walt Disney World is in a constant state of change and growth and expansion. And Walt Disney himself said of Disneyland that it would never be completed and it would always continue to grow as long as there was imagination left in the world. And one of the places that was originally designed for that type of growth was Epcot Center's World Showcase. In fact, this park was not meant to be a World's Fair but really a permanent place where tens of millions of people could come to Walt Disney World and see a variety of countries in just one afternoon. And in addition to the location and the layout and the structure of World Showcase, there were a lot of nations and pavilions that were closer to becoming reality than you might even think. So I thought we would take a couple of trips, really, back in time to see what could have been. And joining me this week on the Wayback Machine to look at the World Showcase pavilions that never were is fellow Disney geek, enthusiast, man of many words and little sleep, Ryan Wilson of the Main Street Gazette blog. Ryan, welcome back, buddy. Good to be back. Uh, Ryan, I know you are very much like me. We're, We're kindred spirits because we love going back and looking at the concept art and thinking about what could have been and how different things might be. And with World Showcase... There is a lot to see in that regard. It really even starting out with how World Showcase was originally going to be conceived of, of how it was going to be laid out, where it was going to be. Um, I mean, that could be a whole segment in and of itself. But today I wanted to, to go with you and, and look back in time and visit and maybe even eat at some of the pavilions that never were because there were really some very, very interesting ones out there. Yeah, there were so many ideas. You you consider what they started with and the plans they had for all these other countries and all the contracts they were talking about. And they had to have all this concept artwork and all these models. And yeah, it's just a mind-blowing amount of stuff to, to look at. Yeah, and, and I sort of broke it down in, in a few different ways. And I thought we would start out with what I consider to be really the big three. And I, and I kind of lumped these together because these were notable because they really took, I think, the most forward steps to becoming part of World Showcase. There were plans on the drawing board, like many of the other countries we're going to talk about, but these three actually had coming soon signs on the World Showcase promenade. And actually, they were also featured in, I'm sure you have the old uh, 1982 book, Epcot Center, a pictorial souvenir. And they are Israel, Spain, and Africa. And Africa even was had a whole section in... um, the Walt Disney's Epcot Center book 
they had left out Morocco, which was going to be built in a few years, but Africa had a whole section in that book because it was just the next step. Yeah, I actually have the book in front of me, and there's like six pages of narrative and concept art, much of which is very beautiful. Um, and I think that really was probably the one that was closest out of them all. But let's, let's hit the, the minor two out of the big three, um, and we'll start off with Israel. And again, they had a future site, big coming soon with concept art, saying the old meets the new in the land of the Bible. And, uh, and Israel was, was planted up. And like all the other pavilions, it was going to have a lot to it. Uh, of course, a good restaurant um, as well. Yeah, I was going to have the open-air restaurant, you know, a huge courtyard stage. Um, and like you said, it had the billboard, and they were ready to go with this with Israel as soon as they could get everything done. Right, and they, were, and they talked about having this giant menorah in the courtyard. There was going to be an amphitheater where they were going to have um, music and, and people from Israel come to perform. Um, and again, this is one of the ones, and we're going to talk about this a lot, that for a variety of reasons just never made it. Um, some of the reasons are... are financial some of them are political um, and this sort of just quietly kind of died on the vine yeah like and it was like you said like a lot of them they just they were there and for whatever reason we never saw them show up in world showcase right and well actually we did get israel sort of a, a taste of israel during the millennium celebration because they were actually very very well represented in the millennium village they had a very right. big sort of exhibit in there the second one that was was really coming soon again had the sign erected right near the germany pavilion was spain and they the sign said that you could discover the golden land of segovia cervantes and picasso discover spain and again this too ryan had the film it had the ride it had the different attractions and what i really would have enjoyed was a, a tapas style restaurant right and with your know, world circuit a lot of it was supposed to they pitched it to the to the countries as this is an you know excuse for people to see your country and then they want to see more. So with Spain, you know they were going all out. They had the film, they had the boat ride, which was going to be similar to Mexico in the history of Spain. And like you said, the the tapas restaurant, which would have just you know growing up in Central Florida, you get that taste and it's just that's something you want more of. Exactly, exactly. And again, too, there's concept art, but not a lot of detail, and, and that's unfortunately we were talking about this offline. We wonder how much detail is sort of buried away uh, over at, at WDI that we don't get to see as far as models and concept art and really how far along in the planning stages these were. Because they, the signs just disappeared with really no sort of explanation as to what happened. Yeah, they kind of hoped you hadn't noticed that they had put this out <laughs> there and then you weren't going to see it again. But you're right. They have to have vaults of this stuff just packed away and, you know, hoarding it for a day when they want to build a new pavilion or something along those lines. Right. But unlike Israel and Spain, Africa, you know, opposite side of the spectrum, like you said, there was a ton out there. Um, and this really looked like it was the done deal. And this was going to be located between Germany and China. So kind of visualize that space. And really going so back so far as when Epcot opened, if you remember the Epcot opening special with Danny Kay, you know, celebrating the new park, they took a big chunk of time, really, to talk about Africa. And if you remember Alex Haley, the author of Root, he came out and they actually stood over a scale model of the pavilion right in front of the location of where it was going to be on the promenade. Yeah, I remember Danny Kay saying, you know, talking to Alex Haley, saying, you know, am I early? And he said, yeah, you're about an, a year early. You know, this time next year, you know, there's going to be this huge pavilion, basically where the little outpost is now. Um, and it just was going to go back and 
much further than most of the other pavilions we see even in World Showcase today. Alex Haley, I presume? You presume correctly. Welcome to Equatorial Africa. Well, thank you very much. Uh, am I too early? About a year, but it's always nice to see you. <laughs> I know you've been a consultant to uh, World Showcase since the beginning, so you must have a pretty good notion of what we will all expect to see when the African Pavilion opens. Well, for one thing, we plan to show the beauty, the drama, the energy, the diversity of this amazing continent. Well, who should know better about that than the author of Roots, huh? If I remember correctly, Alice, Walt Disney was the one who said, I would rather entertain people and hope that they learn something from it. And I think you agree with that. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, that's the theory behind all these other pavilions that are soon to open. Sir... It was an honor, and I am very, very proud to have talked with you, and I will be seeing you soon. I think I can find my way out myself. You think you won't need a guide? Uh, not this time. Maybe next time. We'll see you in about a year. Exactly. And so think about it. If you're talking 1982, you're talking about a year, they must have been ready to start breaking ground at that point. I mean, that's how far along they had to have been to promise it a year out. Yeah, and to put it on national television, you know, this wasn't like a little billboard that you know, you could see and you could dismiss later. I mean, it was national television. Everyone saw that this was what was coming. Right, and we did get to see a lot of the drawings and the models and some of the even behind-the-scenes work that was going on in preparation for the pavilion. But we actually are, are able to talk, and I'd love to, to let people know a little bit about what was going to be there. And this was going to be sort of built around this giant... 60-foot-tall Calisedra tree treehouse that, that guests could actually look over this, and this sounds really cool, this watering hole in a nighttime settings, and you'd have, you know, the trees and the rocks and smells and, and, and very lush, dense vegetation, um, a lot of different special effects as far as um, there was going to be a rear projection film, there was going to be a waterfall, uh, a watering hole for animals. I mean, something, I think, m- more along the lines than just a simple structure in the center of the pavilion. Yeah, I, I look at it as almost the Swiss Family Robinson treehouse taken one more notch up. You're going to be able to climb this tree. You're going to be able to see the animals. Yeah, all these different effects like you were talking about. And it really was going to just pull you into that central, you know, that African feel. Right. And it was really going to give you sort of this very, very much immersive experience that when you walked in here, you were going to be surrounded 360 degrees by this nighttime sort of of. Uh, African jungle and, and rainforest. Um, in addition to that, there were also there wasn't going to be just one. There was going to be two shows, and we'll kind of break them out one by one. And the first one was going to be called "The Heartbeat of Africa." And this is the show that in the pre-show area was going to have a whole history of like just the African drum and the beats, and and it was going to be narrated by a drum who was going to talk about the heartbeat of Africa and how the drums were the really the heartbeat of Africa. Yeah, and, and the drum, and again, it, it's in this Epcot Center book. There's actually concept art, and he had a name. His name was going to be Dono. Uh, once they left this pre-show area, too, again, there was going to be this, this what they called a heritage area that had music and performers and a museum and, uh, and a shop, really demonstrating that, that cultural heritage. But they were going to introduce a new sort of technology and a new sort of experience called the Sound Safari. And when I heard, when, I, when you read about this, I think about the old sense around experience. It was going to be a walkthrough exhibit that would give you the sense of having roaring animals behind you and rustling leaves and all sort of ambient sounds 
in the jungle. Um, again, sort of giving you that, that little immersive experience. Again, this was just one part of this whole Heartbeat of Africa show. And it sounds very much like the, what you see now with the uh, spirit of the rainforest in uh, Rafiki's Planet Watch, where you put the headsets on and it feels like the animals are in the room with you, but it would have been much, much more in-depth as you made your way through the experience. Yeah, and that's something I really would have loved to see because we even ha- we haven't seen it, you know, concept to reality-wise. We haven't seen that really elsewhere um, in the park. But there was also a second show that was going to be called Africa Rediscovered. And this was really going to be the, the pavilion's signature attraction. And this is where Alex Haley comes back, you know, keeping his promise to Danny Kaye. He was going to see him a year later, and he was going to talk to guests about the geography and the, really the, the culture of Africa in depth. Yeah, it was going to be a, a very much a family of man and how all these various kingdoms and civilizations of Africa had you know come together and really give us a history that for the most part of the world we were ignorant of. Now, the, the really interesting and somewhat depressing point about this pavilion, though, it was going to have multiple shops, multiple shows, different types of experiences, no restaurant. There was no restaurant planned for Africa. Which is thankfully why we ended up getting the Animal Kingdom and Animal Kingdom Lodge, which gives us that, that restaurant. But you're right, for as many experiences as you were getting in that one pavilion, it's shocking that there wasn't going to be a restaurant. Right. And so, you know, we, we see how far they were ready to go on Africa. We got to figure, try and figure out what the problems were, why this never happened. And I think the problems really sort of stemmed from day one and they sort of break down into, I look at it as it's three categories, money, sponsorship, and how to represent it. And obviously money was a huge factor because when Disney opened up what they really phase one of Epcot Center, they spent a billion dollars and it was important for them to start recouping their expenses. But as attendance started to drop off, I think they needed to sort of re-examine where they were going to spend their money. Were they going to put it into something like an Africa pavilion or maybe start looking towards something like a Captain EO, you know, that might have a little bit more bang for its buck? Exactly. You wanted to see something that, you know, Michael Jackson was a huge draw then. He would definitely pull in people. Would a History of Africa pavilion pull in the same amount of guests? Exactly. Um, and another another issue that seemed to come up a lot with some of the pavilions we're going to talk about today is sponsorship and politics, um, because it's it's tough enough to find a corporate sponsor. But when you do, sometimes in a tough political climate, uh, that makes it even more difficult. That held true for Africa, because the only corporate sponsors and groups that were willing to sponsor the African pavilion were from South Africa. And that presented its own sort of set of challenges right there. Right. You didn't want to automatically start uh, distancing yourself from or aligning yourself with various groups. You wanted to very much be a cohesive world showcase. And the other part with sponsorships is on a pavilion like Africa, where exactly do you put that name to say this is who is sponsoring us? Exactly. And, and that sort of leads into the last thing, which I think may be a greater factor than some of the other ones, is remember, Africa is not a a nation in World Showcase. It is a continent. So how do you represent every nation within Africa appropriately? You know, nations were at war. There were political differences, lots of infighting. How do you now try and accurately portray what Disney's concept of Africa was going to be without potentially alienating or offending one or more of the nations in Africa? 
Exactly, because it was very, it looks from everything that I've seen very focused on equatorial Africa, which leaves out a wide gamut of other countries and loca- locations and people, really. Exactly. And, and to that end, I think that there's, for a number of reasons, I think that's why we will never see the Africa Pavilion in World Showcase. One, because now we have Disney's Animal Kingdom. I think it, there's much more room there. There's much more uh, ability to present it on a grand scale. But, you know, one, one thing that was great, though, was that one nation in Africa was like, well, hey, you know, I want a pavilion on World Showcase. And in fact, I'm going to pay for it myself. So the King of Morocco steps up and says, here, here you go. Here's $30 million. I'm going to send over my guys. And you, we are going to have an African-based pavilion on World Showcase. Right. And with his artisans, I mean, it was going to be, you know, everything was done in the correct detail, the correct time, the correct place. And it was, yeah, he wanted Africa to be represented on the spectrum of World Showcase. Right. And I think it's great that we get that little taste of Africa. But, you know, I'm I'm upset that we never got this the way it was laid out, because I think it would have been uh, a wonderful experience, not just technology wise, but for guests to be able to experience this part of equatorial Africa this way. Um, it's it's one of the ones I think that's a, a true lost treasure of uh, of all the pavilions that didn't get built. I agree, because if you look at it, and there was so much going on in this pavilion, more so than any other pavilion that opened with World Showcase, and it would have been a definite draw for people. You would have just been in there and experiencing and come away with something truly unique. Right. I mean, and look, we have the outpost, you have the old village traders now, you know, obviously not, you know, it's a small shop. You've got the, the drummers there. But if you look, if you happen to look on a Google map, take a look at how much room this pavilion really could have occupied in that space. Uh, it's it's amazing what we would have gotten to see, you know, this whole dark continent there. Um, and that, that one little hut that we have out there is uh, is unfortunately a sad reminder of what we missed out on. It really is. It really is. But... Um, there were other pavilions other than those big three that were much closer to coming to fruition that you might think, might really think. And, um, and I had a lot of fun researching this because I loved looking back on one of these. And one of them was actually going to be called the Scandinavian Showcase. And it was actually, again, October 3rd, 1983, Disney reaches a formal agreement with Scanshow AS, which is a Scandinavian uh, company. It was a division of Norway's Norway's largest construction company. And again, they were very far along on getting this pavilion built. And Claude Coates, Haunted Mansion, uh, was very much instrumental in designing um, this project and really sort of putting his touch on it. And it is, it's another one of these pavilions where you wonder what we could have ended up with. And it ended up being scaled down and put off. And you ended up later on with just Norway coming out and getting its own pavilion. Right. And this was going to be much, much larger. It was also going to be located between France and the United Kingdom. So if you look at your map on the opposite side of the lagoon, and it was going to really embrace the cultures of not just Norway, but also Sweden and Denmark. And it looked like, again, Ryan, this was a done deal because the the final plans were supposed to be completed by the end of 84. The pavilion was supposed to open in 87. So this was farther along. But again, we have to sort of speculate as to what happened both financially or concept-wise, why we never got sort of this, this pavilion in this sense and, and why we ended up with Norway, which is great, but not obviously on the scale of what we were supposed to get with the Scandinavian showcase. 
And it really does come back to those three topics we keep talking about, the politics, the sponsors, and the actual money coming in. And unfortunately, I think the Scandinavian Pavilion was just another one of those casualties. And, and you know, it's funny because you think about them being that close, that they're talking about it. It's written up uh, in some internal communications. They're obviously close to finalizing a deal. How much time, how much money, how much concept stuff is out there? Another pavilion, again, very, very close, at least it seemed on paper, was Venezuela. And if you know Dick Nunes at the time, he was president of Outdoor Recreation. May of 1982, he talks about this signed deal that they had. He says, you know, we have the Africa Pavilion, and we're probably going to have a Scandinavian pavilion someday. So now he's now talked about two of them we hit on. We've also been talking with Venezuela. And he goes, and you're going to see why these eight other sites that they have on the promenade we're going to fill up very, very rap- rapidly. Uh, and Venezuela, again, one I really would have liked, an aerial tram ride through the tropical rainforest. And this, if uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was going to be an interior type pavilion. Very much it was going to be a night set like Mexico with a huge hotel built into a mountainside and just all the, the different shops along the exterior. It was really going to be a fantastic looking pavilion. And again, I'll, I'll turn it right to food. There was a, a restaurant that was going to be built around this giant waterfall. I mean, so again, that, that seemed like, like you said, this internal uh, Mexico pavilion, very much that immersive experience, even as far as the restaurant goes. It's another one of those things where you see the artwork and you see the tram going up and you see the hotel kind of lit up for night. It's just like, why don't we have this? Exactly. Where, where, where did this go wrong? I know. And, and, you know, again, we don't have a lot. You know, there's a little bit of concept art here and there. Um, and it sounds beautiful. You know, there's this, this dome sort of tram ride through the, through the rainforest. We have nothing like that. We have no. And look how many different attractions that we're talking about that we don't have currently in World Showcase um, that I think in addition to the nations, just the attractions themselves would have been a huge addition. Um, and another one too, and this one, you know, now looking back, hindsight being 2020, we have some ideas about maybe why it didn't happen. But Iran was very, very close. And actually during Celebration 25, Marty Sklar talked about the Iran Pavilion. He was actually disappointed because this was going to be architecturally one of not just the largest, but one of the most beautiful of all the planned pavilions for World Showcase. It really was. It's going to have the recreation of Persepolis and the uh, Golstan Palace and just all these incredible things. And, and like we said, attractions. It had a boat ride that was going to do Persian history. And where did it fall through? Right. And here, I mean, again, this I think probably was more political than it was financial. Think about the 80s. Um, think about, you know, the overthrow of the Shah of Iran. A lot of things going on um, in, in retrospect. Right. It might be situation. better off. Right. It might be better off that we don't have Iran because that, yeah. yeah. that could have gone bad. Um, but there were also some other ones. And again, think about how many different pavilions we're talking about here, how much obvious room there is for expansion on World Showcase. Costa Rica, Marty Sklar talked about that as well. This, again, was supposed to be a very large, very beautiful uh, pavilion representing Costa Rica. And all the ideas they had with all this space they have, you, you even have Nunes, like you said, back in May of 82, talking about a secondary promenade behind American Adventure for another possible five more sites for these pavilions. Yeah, and that's one of the things that really intrigued me because he talked about this this blue sky concept he had, and they were going to make a cut through basically, make a whole another lagoon on the south side of World Showcase. 
there was going to be five very, very large building sites. But the concept that I really was intrigued by was the hotel in Australia. So now you're like staying in a hotel in Australia inside a, a Disney theme park. You can take a cruise down to Australia. You can go down to the South Seas, other parts of the world. This, these lagoons would be connected. You know, in theory, I, I, that's something I would have loved to have seen come to fruition. And even with this hotel, you know, we're looking 20 years later, we finally get a, par- a hotel that has an entrance into the park. But with Australia, you would have been right in the park every morning you woke up. Yeah. I, I mean, again, one could only imagine. But again, that space is there. So who knows, uh, you know, who knows what might happen. But one of the pavilions that even over the last couple of years has started to, to gain a little bit of a buzz in the, in the rumor mill um, is the Soviet Union. And this was originally planned to come around the early 90s, would be loca- located between China and Germany. Obviously, a very large recreation of Red Square. Right, it's going to have St. Basil's Cathedral, the Onion Domes, and it actually would have been kind of a walled-off pavilion, so you actually physically had to walk into it. Exactly, and it would be, again, very large, very expansive, very much focused on the culture and Russian folk tales. and there'd be a lot of, uh, there'd be a show, there'd be audio animatronics, a lot about Russian history. Again, political climate through the years, uh, the breakup of the Soviet Union, that's probably why it didn't happen then. But again, this one seems to get legs every now and then. This is one of the ones that keeps on coming back as a possible planned pavilion. And we were talking about this before, whether or not this is wishful thinking. You see a piece of artwork and you're like, well, wouldn't that be great to have here? Or how much of it is somebody heard something from somewhere and it is in discussion? Well, they say at Imagineering, no good idea you know, ever really dies. So I, I'd love to see them sort of dust off some of these concepts at some point, including another one. United Arab Emirates had a flying car. Again, we're talking about another ride coming into World Showcase, a flying carpet ride showing how the Middle East sort of paved the way for, you know, different things with culture and life and and science and whatnot. Again, beautiful, beautiful concept art for the UAE. And you were supposed to take off on this flying carpet and supposedly there was going to be a genie there to help guide your voyage. And one of these concepts, you it sounds great in... But looking at the technology at the time, it's like, what are we missing? What? How come this attraction never made it off the ground, so to speak? Exactly, exactly. And you start talking about genies and flying carpets. I know people, the Aladdin, you know, buzz meter is going off in their mind, wondering about the uh, the possible character tie-ins. Now, wouldn't have happened back then, but now wondering how they might tie in um, characters there. And one more, again, with a huge, huge attraction, would have been Switzerland, and there would have been a giant Matterhorn-like mountain built there, and a little Swiss village for a Matterhorn ride, or a Matterhorn-style ride. And this was supposed to be built right off of Germany, on the other side of Germany, and you can only imagine that would have been a mountain almost directly across the lagoon as you come out of uh, Future World, and it was a way to transplant something else from Disneyland to Epcot Center, tying all of those little pieces together. And you can, I can only imagine what that would have looked like. Well, oh, there you, and there you go. There is the other, the weenie, you know, that, that visual focal point to draw people towards the back of World Showcase that you would have gotten there with that huge mountain in the distance. Exactly. You know, we all know that in the Magic Kingdom, people hit those mountains first. Space Mountain, Big Thunder Mountain, and Splash Mountain. This was a mountain at the back of the park. It gave people a reason to go around the promenade to see what else was back there. Exactly. Uh, and one other pavilion that... 
seems like it was a little bit farther along than just the discussions and meetings with people from the nation was a Philippines pavilion. And again, Claude Coates seems to have, have been the guy who was leading this project, working on it, designed the concept art, although there's very little out there, um, at least that we have access to, that we're able to find. But again, think about that addition, you know, that, that sort of area of the world that the Philippines bring brought in, the culture. Okay, I go back to the food again. Um, but what that would have brought. And what it would have tasted like. Okay, fine. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> um, you know, and, and one of the other things I wanted to touch on, too, was in addition to these whole new pavilions that were going to be built there uh, and what they would have brought. You know, we were talking about the rides and the attractions and the shows. And I, you start thinking about it, or I was, in terms of children. Because Epcot's reputation, especially World Showcase early on, was that it was obviously very, very different than the Magic Kingdom. It really wasn't, there weren't a lot of things for kids to do. There was no characters, there were no rides, and in World Showcase, what could kids do? But believe it or not, there were actually some concepts that were very close to to being, you know, realized that never happened. And, and one of the ones that really intrigued me was a Pinocchio village over in Italy. And it would have been a, a show, there would have been an attraction, obviously a restaurant, uh, more than something like you have with Pinocchio's Daring Journey in Disneyland. Um, it would have been the village, but it, there would have been attraction, and there would have been characters there. And that's obviously the one thing that, that Epcot was lacking. But you would have had this beautiful Tuscan-themed area. And I'll put a link, uh, a picture up in the show notes of an overhead shot of Italy. Because although Italy seems like it's a large pavilion that's very deep, again, like so many of these other places, Ryan, there's a ton of room behind them. Uh, as you get backwards towards Avenue of the Stars, to build. It, there really is, and you can, you know you can almost see when you walk into the pavilion where that path would have led you around a corner and into this whole other area with the Tuscan hillsides and the pine trees. And you know, with Pinocchio, it was one of those things where there were no characters, like you said, in Epcot. It was one of those, and it was almost like a mandate there were going to be no characters, but this would have broken that mold and maybe would have seen some more attractions open up. Exactly. And uh, and one of the other ones that they were looking to do, uh, again, very far along, I guess, in concept, was an Alice in Wonderland attraction in the UK. You know, you'd follow the white rabbit sort of down this rabbit hole into this whole sort of very fanciful world with, with characters. Love to have seen this. Would love to have seen what this uh, could have been done. The concept was all done. The show elements were a development. And again, something along the way stops it and you wonder if it was money and, and even in the UK too they were also supposed to have their own crystal palace so you can only think that maybe sort of money was the roadblock into maybe seeing these two things uh, come to pass it's definitely one of those things where I love that back corner of the UK where they have the, the square and the gardens but it, an Alice in Wonderland attraction or a crystal palace kind of thing would have brought in you know children it would have brought in families and it would have been great to see in that little area. So it begs a question to you that we, we've talked on the show in the past about the adding of characters to Epcot and Future World and, and, play, and uh, entire pavilions like the Seas with Nemo. Is that something that you would not have been averse to or you would have liked to have seen or, or would even like to see now? I think it's one of those things where if you use it marginally, it's, obviously you don't want every pavilion to have a character-driven attraction you want the history to come through. You want the culture to come through. But used appropriately to draw children in and to get them exposure to these different 
countries and cultures, I think it would have been a great thing to see. I agree with you 100%. As long as it sort of doesn't take away from the message of education about the nation, its people, and its culture, <clears throat> and its food, uh, the addition of characters is fine because, again, you want to sort of generate that excitement and that interest in children. Um, and a couple other things just quickly to mention. We, we've talked, when we covered Japan on the show at length, we talked about the Meet the World exhibit. We talked about the potential Mount Fuji roller coaster that never came to be. But in Germany, too, and you can see this. I mean, you can see where this was supposed to go. If you look uh, at the Germany pavilion to the left-hand side, you see these large, brown, huge, swinging double doors. That was going to be where the Rhine River cruise was going to be built. I mean, they had this whole area actually sort of mapped out for where this attraction was going to go. And you can see the huge show building up in you know the background of, of Germany where they were going to have this attraction be stored. And it was going to be a cruise along the Rhine, the Tuber, the Ruhr, the Isar rivers. And it was going to be miniature villages of these German towns. Yeah, and I think that would have been... Um, I think that would have been spectacular. Uh, that is something I, I really would have loved to have seen. Because I, I love the German pavilion. I think it's beautiful. But it's it's missing that one thing. And you can see that, that it was planned for. And, it, and it's, there's a void left by not having that there. Um, and something else I thought was really interesting. And, and I'm a huge, huge fan of the American adventure. I think it's, it's a must-see for everybody. When you go, it's dark and you get weepy. But originally... That's not what they had planned for the American Adventure. I thought this was pretty neat. The American Adventure was also going to have a boat ride, but this was going to have, instead of characters from history, it was going to have folk characters like Paul Bunyan and Babe the Ox singing sort of traditional folk tales uh, and folk songs. And it would have just, you know, again, we, got, we have the history of our country with the American Adventure, and you're right, it makes you, you know, cry. And I think my wife looks at me crazy sometimes when I come out of there. But... The, the the culture of our country would have been represented with all of these folk songs and you know the characters like the Johnny Appleseeds and all of that. Yeah, very interesting what um, what that might have been, and that's you know that's why I enjoy talking about these things because you wonder what may have been, what prevented it, you know, how close really were we, and and what might be coming next. I mean, we've been talking for years about what's the next pavilion to be built in World Showcase because at some point. It's going to happen, although I think with the current economic climate, Nations and Disney itself, it used to cost about $60 million. Uh, that cost being split between Disney and a corporate sponsor. That's why Epcot had sponsors for all of its pavilions. Now, one can only imagine what that number might be. Uh, it might be a hard sell to say, yes, we're going to plunk down this much money for a new pavilion. Absolutely. And you look at all the space they have, but like you said, in the current economic, economic crisis... It's really probably a few years away before you can even get anyone to even sign on to say, okay, well, we'll we're going to try to do this. But like we said, with all the space available, it really is only a matter of time, considering that the last pavilion we received was Norway, and that was in the late 80s. Exactly. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot, and I'm going to say, okay, Ryan, of all the, you, you now can go into WDI. You, you have access to all these plans and pavilions. Out of all the ones that were on the drawing board, which, are the, which one would you like to have seen? Which one could you build now uh, if you could? If I had a choice, it would probably be Venezuela. I think there's very little of that South American culture present in uh, World Showcase aside from Mexico and just that tram ride and the waterfall and the hotel. And 
the encompassing experience of being inside that pavilion, it, I'm sold. Yeah, that was that was my first inclination. But uh, just to be different, I'm going to say the Soviet Union, and I think the reason why is because there's still so much because of relations through the years. It was so much of a closed-off area to us as as Americans. It's something that we know little about, and this would be our only opportunity to see, to see what Red Square would be like, to learn about the very rich culture and the history um, of the Russian people, um, even though there wouldn't have been maybe, uh, you know, an attraction there like we would have gotten in Venezuela. It's something I, I would have been interested to see. Um, but all right, so one more question then. Forgetting the ones that are just on the list, you now have carte blanche and you can pick any nation uh, or any area of the world, if you want to put it that way, and bring it into World Showcase, what would you bring in? I know you've thought about it in the past. Yeah. You know, (laughs) my wife and I joke around occasionally about an Antarctic pavilion, but I keep telling her that, you know, we we had that with Ice Station Cool. We don't need that anymore. Um, I would probably say Australia because in the South Seas, it's so not represented really anywhere except for the the Polynesian Resort that that's a flavor pardon the food uh, uh, that we don't have in World Showcase. True. Uh, for me, it's um, I, I've always had a fascination with, I've always had an interest in Egypt. And I would love, and I know we have North Africa already with Morocco, um, but the history of Egypt, what you could do visually with a sphinx, with pyramids, uh, with so much um Forgetting about the food, just forget, you know, with, with the history itself um, of, of Egypt, I think it would be interesting to both kids and adults alike. Again, a place that for many of us, we would never get to see, although I think there's a huge interest in it. I remember years ago when the Tutankhamun exhibit came, uh, you know, and did its tour, how popular that was. It sort of evidences, I think, our, our fascination, uh, especially with the history of Egypt, and I think um, again, you'd get that visual weenie too if you had the giant pyramid in the background, sort of flanking World Showcase with a, a, a Matterhorn mountain on one side and an Egyptian pyramid on the other. Oh, the visuals are stunning! Just <laughs> just thinking about it, but I think you're right. With Egypt, you'd have the mythology that you could definitely pull kids in with, in the hieroglyphics and just the multitude of avenues you could explore with that. Think about what kind of a ride you can put in there as well with that kind of space and, and that kind of um, visuals to work off of. Or even thinking beyond just a ride, think of the mazes you could put in, you know, labyrinth within pyramids. Exactly. Put us in charge. Put us in charge. There we go. Unlimited budget. <laughs> just, just give us a couple of years. It'll be fine. We'll take care of it. Exactly. We'll figure out how to just charge it. Put it on the American Express. We'll, we'll figure it, like I do now, I'll figure out how to pay for it later. Um, That's right. But I'm sure other people have their own opinions, especially about what they would like to see next. And this is where I'd like to invite listeners to please call into the voicemail and tell us which of the maybe the old original pavilions that we've talked about here that were, were close to reality you would have liked to have seen. Or if it's not on the list, a pavilion or a nation or an area of the world or a culture represented that you'd like to see in World Showcase, call 888-703-2171 weigh in on that where you can of course go post in the forums and uh, Ryan Wilson from Main Street Gazette that's Main ST Gazette I'll link it up in the show notes um, thank you very much for, for coming on and joining me on these uh, Wayback Machines I really really enjoy uh, doing these with you
It's time once again to open up the email inbox and answer some of your listener questions and to join me once again to help get through some of these, even the ones that are not about food, is my friend and yours, Becky Mankin, owner of MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. Becky, my friend, welcome back. Thanks, Lou. It's wonderful to be back yet again. And listen, last time we did the emails, the goal was to incorporate food, no matter what, into every (laughs) single email. I promise I will not do that again, although these randomly selected questions, I'm sure, will cover dining in Walt Disney World in some way, shape, or form. I'm sure that food will be involved somewhere along the line. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, forgive me, too, because I do get a lot of questions who are like, Lou, we're going to Disney World. Where should I eat? I've got a, a couple of hundred of those in the inbox. So if I don't answer those individually, they're sort of like incorporated into into some of these other ones. So if you don't hear it specifically, know that you get the gist of where I, where we kind of like to eat, which is pretty much everywhere. Anywhere. Uh, yeah. Anywhere <laughs> on property at this point. So, And now there's even new places to eat. Now we have to, like, we have to go and try the new Conestoga place in Frontierland and, and all that kind of stuff. So Right. And, and I, I seem to remember a promise about taking me to the wave as well. I don't know who made that promise to you, but I would. But you know what? I will take you to the wave anyway because I Excellent. love the wave so so much. So Excellent. we have to try breakfast at the wave. Well, I'll take you up on that. Here's the deal: you put me up in the contemporary <coughs> concierge. I will take you to breakfast at the wave. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you want to visit the concierge level to check out the room. I, I'd be happy to be able to do that for you. Not a problem. Though. All right. Well, listen, Stephen Mosley has been waiting to have his question answered. So let's get right to Steve's question and kick off the email section. And he says, Lou, my wife and I are taking our son, Luke, to Disney World for his second birthday. And we will be in the Magic Kingdom that day. I wonder how many times he's, he, you know, he says, he goes to his son and says, Luke, I... I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. <laughs> you have Star Wars on the brain. I do. I do. Star Wars weekend's coming soon. Coming in May. <laughs> anyway, I want to schedule lunch with Mickey on his birthday. I assume you mean Luke's birthday and not Mickey's birthday. But besides that, I don't know what else there is that I can make his birthday special. My wife and I have been to Disney World eight times. I've never paid any attention to how to make events like this extra special. Help. What can I do to make it seem like the park is his birthday party? Boy, Stephen, you're going at the right time. Thank you so much. Keep up the hard work. I love seeing WDW Radio in the downloads area of iTunes every week. So do I. It lets me know that I did something right. <laughs> it feels like a little gift from a friend. I've listened since the beginning to, to your other podcast. And thank you for any help you can give Stephen Mosley. I know you and I are thinking probably along the same lines. There's just so much, and and we do get a lot of questions about how to celebrate things in the parks. And, of course, this year is the year that Disney's helping everyone celebrate special occasions with the What Will You Celebrate promotion, which offers special perks for guests. The only hitch is, of course, is that it it starts for guests three and up for that special celebration that they're doing, which, um, since Luke is turning two, he won't be able to really participate partake, there we go, in the official birthday treat. And by that, I mean the choice of the birthday fun card, the free admission, or the or the fast pass badge. But that does not mean you're not going to have a great time with your, with your son in Walt Disney World in the parks. There's a lot of other things you can do to make the celebration special. And one of the first things that, that I always think about when I'm thinking about the celebration, especially with the small kids, is a character meal. 
is definitely on the list of things that I just love to watch little kids and uh, and interact with the characters. And of course, Chef Mickey's is one of my favorites for a really energetic, happy um, uh, celebration for, for a, a meal. And of course, let them know it's his birthday when you check in, when you um, work with the restaurants, make sure that your servers are aware that it's a celebration. Of course, there's the tried and true birthday button which can be obtained at City Hall at the Magic Kingdom or guest services at the other parks. They always generate a little extra magic. And, of course, with the little buttons, be sure to watch the sharp end of the uh, of the button <laughs> with a little two-year-old. But it's a good idea also to carry an autograph book when you wear it because you might get some extra special birthday greetings from the characters in, um, in, the, uh, in the autograph book, which would be a great keepsake for later on. Again, we, we think along the same lines, oh, but take note, the first thing you mentioned was food mm-hmm. at Chef Mickey's. Just, I'm just <laughs> Dang! <saying. laughs> well, see, and then I can do you one better because the other thing that I was going to mention too is you can also order a birthday cake food. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is just not going to stop, is it? And they do have a cake hotline that you can have uh, a cake presented at um, at one of the major restaurants or most major restaurants. And that number for anybody who wants to order a cake, it's like a standard little six inch cake, or you can also get one that's customized as well. But um, the cake hotline is 407 827 the cake hotline you know for all those cake emergencies they have a hotline set up you know pick up the phone it goes right to the cake department i was actually going to also suggest character meals as well it sounds like luke is probably around the the age where he's into playhouse disney uh play and dine at hollywood and vine is another good one over at disney's hollywood studios where you get some of the little einstein's characters in there plus and you can also go right from there take them over to see playhouse disney live on stage just tell him it's for him. He'll never know the difference. He's only two. Um, the other <laughs> thing, too, I, I, I'm really big on getting the first haircut in Walt Disney World. I don't know mm-hmm. why. I just think that's such a special thing. Um, you know, I, I think my son was probably around two-ish or so when we did his there. You get the special Mickey ears. And the other thing, too, is photographs, photographs, photographs. Use oh, yeah. photo, use photo pass, you know, as much as possible. Um you know, let them take the pictures, get your photo pass card. You can order the CD. Um, it's a great way to sort of capture those memories and have them forever. So um, I think you won't be disappointed. No oh, I totally, I totally agree with that. Is There's also the birthday call as well. I've heard that you can contact the front desk if you're staying on Disney property at one of the Disney resorts. And they might be able to um, help put together a special little birthday phone call to your room as well. Very good. Very good. Actually, my somebody actually did that for my wife a couple of years ago. She wasn't two, but yeah, so one, of the, <laughs> one of the cast members at one of the pavilions saw it was her birthday, and uh, she got a special phone call from a character. Those are really fun. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Next question says, "Lou, I'm a relatively new listener. I'm a couple of shows behind. I just had a comment about one of your recommendations on your May Fourth show. Somebody asked you about places to go and dance. You mentioned Jelly Rolls. I've been listening to Disney podcasts, so for our last trip." I plan to take my husband there for an evening's entertainment. Imagine my surprise when we got to the front door to be greeted by the unmistakable smell of cigarette smoke emanating from the building. Since Disney is by and large a non-smoking place, I had never thought of this. I'm also highly allergic to cigarette smoke. I could not go in. 
I was really disappointed, so I thought I'd mention it to you and your listeners. It's not for those of us with asthma. Keep up the good work. I really like your enthusiasm for Disney. And being from New England, it's great to hear a Northern perspective. Peace from Cindy Ellen Robinson. Cindy Ellen, boy, do we have news for you. Because as of January 1st, Jelly Rolls is completely non-smoking. Woo-hoo. The celebrations begin. That's that's great. I I have to say I all right, confession time. I am an ex-smoker from a ways a ways ago and of course I'm a little bit more sensitive to smoke than um than I used to be. <laughs> but here in Washington, smoking is banned in bars and restaurants. So it was a little shocking when you first kind of walk in and and smell that smell and it's even worse when you're you have allerg- allergies or you're sensitive to it. So that's great news. Yeah, and I am not a smoker. You know, my wife and I both have asthma. We're not big into going to places. So when we went there in December and then went back again in January, big difference between the two. Big thumbs up to Disney for doing that. And, you know, when you're singing Brown Eyed Girl at the top of your lungs at 2 o'clock in the morning, you don't want to have to worry about that secondhand smoke. So, Cindy Ellen, you are you are definitely in luck. Next email comes from Marissa, who says, Hey, Lou, two of my friends and I have been saving up to go to Disney World sometime between January and April 2009 for a four-day, three-night trip. We're all on college student budgets, so money is pretty tight. When, during this time frame, do you think we could get the cheapest hotel rates and at which hotels? Wow, big question there. The best rates during that time can typically be found in January or non-holiday and dare I say it school break times. You want to you want to make sure to stay away from the holiday and the the school break areas because of course higher demand means higher prices. But if you're a student, it might be hard to get away during those those off-season times, but um, this year we're also seeing deals come out during um, with great values all the way through March. So the least expensive on property deals can usually be found at the value resorts like the All-Stars and the Pop Century if you're looking for just straight, uh, the the least expensive. However, if you're looking for something a little bit more deluxe, um, but not quite on the level of the Disney resorts, the Swan and Dolphin sometimes also run some really good rates as well as the downtown Disney and good neighbor uh, resorts around the property. So there's a lot of options for you to look at. All right, moving along, Ted Knapp from Rochester, New York, writes and says, Lou, love the show. I have a question for you. In 2000, my wife and I purchased a walk-around-the-world brick to celebrate our marriage that same year. Our brick is, or should I say was, on the far right of the TTC. In 2005, we went to Walt Disney World for our fifth anniversary, and our brick had been moved about 20 feet to beneath an automated ticket dispenser awning. Next year, well, they wanted to put you in the shade. That's why. Next year, last year, (laughs) we stayed for one night prior to a Disney cruise and our brick was nowhere to be found. We're coming down for nine days with our five-year-old son and would like to show him the brick. I believe there was a 10-year guarantee that our brick would be there in the purchase agreement. I know that the Walk Around the World program has ceased operation. So my question is, is there anyone we could contact to find out where our brick went? Any help would be appreciated. Hope to meet you soon, Ted Knapp. Uh, and he also says, happy birthday. Welcome to the club. I'm 45. 
<laughs> and uh, of course, it has been discontinued, which is kind of a sad thing. I, I had a tradition of, of getting bricks for occasions down there, but it doesn't mean you can't get any information. You can actually reach the Walk Around the World program. There's a phone number that you can call. It's a recording which will ask you to leave a message and they'll contact you back. A cast member advised it's helpful to leave the following information for them, which is the first and last name of the purchaser. Uh, they also would like your phone number, obviously, to call you back. And if you happen to have your stone number, that would help them as well. But the phone number for the program is area code 407 824 7890. Hope that helps. Yeah, and I've heard from people who said they haven't been able to find their brick, the bricks, yeah. you know, or the brick was damaged, and they are still, you know, they were still replacing it. So even though it's been discontinued, chances are your brick is there somewhere. I actually have two of them. I have to go and I know one of them is by the Polynesian, and God only knows where the other one might be. Yeah, I have like four down there, and I haven't seen them in a while. So that's kind of been on the to-do list to go and, and find them again. Now, is like one like, you know, Becky loves Chris, another one like Becky loves Joe, <laughs> another one like Becky, you know, or are they hopefully all the same, you know, Becky and somebody? Uh, yeah. <laughs> one's, one's an anniversary brick. One was no for my mom's to, no birthday. Need. Um, no yeah. need to continue. That's right. Quiet. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to get me in so much trouble, aren't you? Chris, don't listen to this one. Move on. <laughs> All right. Quickly moving on. Hey, Lou, my grandma wants to go to Walt Disney World, but she's kind of, well, different. She doesn't like to go on fast rides, and she heard that the track on the left side of Space Mountain only goes as fast as the monorail. Is this true, Lou? I knew you would be the man to ask. Thanks, Tony Rigatoni. Tony, first of all, <laughs> you have the best name ever. I, <laughs> no I would walk around with the name Tony Rigatoni if I could. I think that's awesome. <laughs> now, first of all, don't worry about Grandma, because she's not all that different. There's a lot of people that don't like fast rides. And Space Mountain is a little bit on the fast side. Um, it's not as fast as you might think. It only goes about 28 miles per hour, and that's for the left and right, the alpha and the beta tracks. Uh, comparing it to the monorail, it's not all that off. The monorail's sort of max speed, if they really sort of get going on a straightaway, um, is about 40 miles an hour. So it's a little bit below that. But uh, yeah, it's about 28 miles an hour, although it might seem a little bit faster uh, for Grandma. So. Grandma, right, because, me and you on the TTA. Yeah, there you go. I was going to say that because it, it, it may sound like it's slow, but it has sharp turns and drops. Plus, it's in the dark, which, of course, makes it seem faster to many people. So I'm all for the TTA. Yeah. And you know what, Tony? If um, if you're going down later on this year, you might not have to worry about it because it's going to be closed anyway. So yeah. it's uh, And so will the TTA, unfortunately. Carousel of Progress. Slow, <laughs> relaxing. There right you up go. Grandma's alley. All right. Next question says, Lou, my question is this. In the newest CD I picked up called Walt Disney World Official Album, Where Magic Lives, it has a track called Destiny, one of my favorites, with vocals by Louise Warren. This goes with Mission Space, but I've never heard this song performed there, at least not with the vocals. What's the story? And that comes from Bruce. So here's your trivia question, Becky. Do you oh, know no. <laughs> where Destiny is played, if anywhere? In or around Dang. Mission Space. Dang, Google is my friend, right? <laughs> really quickly. Um, you know what? All right. First of all, I avoid Mission Space like the plague, I have to say. Um, not my personal favorite. I like looking at it from the outside. So You and Tony's uh, grandma are going to hang out a lot together <laughs> next time. <laughs> I'll do TTA with her, I promise. Um, but 
honestly, I hate to admit it, I have no clue. Right. Tell me, Lou. It, uh, it, you can actually hear it, and this is why you've never heard it, is because you can hear it as you come out of the centrifuge, the sort of that exit queue, that hallway um, in the back toward when you head towards the post-show gaming area. That's when you'll hear Destiny. So, And, of course, when I was walking that direction, that was the last thing I was thinking about <laughs> <laughs> was the background music. So, Yeah, I was going to ask if you were a green or an orange girl, but I guess the question is moot at this point. Uh, um, yeah, the standing still, watching the movie is good with me. Yeah. You sound more uh, like a universe of energy kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tower of terror. Tower of terror. I'm okay with falling, not spinning. Interesting. Interesting. Tells us a <laughs> the lot things you learn. You, right. <laughs> All right. Moving along. Next question says, Lou, I'm a fairly recent listener to your show and love your enthusiasm for all things Disney, especially Walt Disney World. This past May, my girlfriend and I visited Walt Disney World, and this was her first visit. My first visit was back in July of 1972, and I've been back many times since and love the nostalgia that the parks bring. With this in mind, I wanted to ask you, what, if anything, has become of the old Skyway pavilions? The two, the two buildings, Tomorrowland and it's actually Fantasyland, that house the cable cars seemed to just sit alone and wondered if the Imagineers or the company had any plans to make changes to these structures. Would this be a good place for a character meet and greet or possibly a setting for the DVC team as it is a partially enclosed structure? I dearly love the Skyway and all the great photo opportunities they afforded me and my family, but would love to see the space used for something of value instead of sitting by itself. Please let me know if you've heard of any rumors or ideas on these areas. And thank you so much for informing us listeners each week as you truly have the best job in the world. And that comes sincerely from David in Houston, Texas. Now, you're, you're, you're a falling girl, but you're not a spinning girl. Were you yeah. ever a Skyway girl? You know, I, from Disneyland, I actually have a story about that and my, my dad for another time um, on the Skyway, but I did not... I was not able to partake in it before they brought it down in Disney World, but I know that the structure in Fantasyland still stands, but it's not used. They use that area below as kind of like a parking garage for strollers. <laughs> but on the Tomorrowland side, they've recently covered it um, with the construction cover-up, but I have not heard a word on what they're planning to do with it. I know that they're rebuilding the Tomorrowland stage to be a more permanent structure, so they may be just kind of sprucing it up. Um, the Skyway structure, anyway, is a backdrop, but honestly, I I have no idea. But it's a great question why they haven't used those before. Yeah, and I know the uh, during some special events they do use the Fantasy Line, Fantasyland side for some meet and greets. They also sell Christmas trees there during the holidays. Um, as far as Tomorrowland, I, I've talked about this a while back on the show that I had heard some rumors about what might be happening to it. Um, we've heard everything from a new dining location to, you know, a, a whole lot of different things. I, I'd rather not speculate at this point because there is a lot of stuff going on in yeah. Tomorrowland with the stage and the Space Mountain and TTA and everything else. Uh, but I will tell you this, the buckets are still in there. And and, here's, and you, ready? you know what else? You know who else is in the, or what else is in the, is in that building? The timekeeper. No. Okay, see the things I learned back again. You can't go see them, so don't go knocking on the door, but (laughs) that's uh, the timekeeper sort of hanging out. Um, Not Robin Williams, just just the (laughs) timekeeper. I had no idea. But I I will tell you, 
I also have fond memories of that, although at one point I used to be scared that the cable would break and I'd fall to my death somewhere over Pinocchio's village house. But the views that used to be afforded from the Skyway were amazing. And it was the other thing that was really cool about it, too, was that it took a 90-degree turn right around, almost a 90-degree turn right around the, uh, the Speedway which was something very unique. Most, you know, kind of Skyway things are, are straight back right. and forth. Um, but it was a great, great way to experience the parks from a whole nother view. So I would love to see, I, I agree with you, I hate seeing empty structures, empty pavilions, empty venues. I'd love to see something happen on both sides. Uh, Fantasyland's a little small, not a lot that you could really do with it there. But um, I'd be very curious to hear if any listeners had suggestions of what you would do with either end of the Fantasyland things. Call into the voicemail 888-703-2171. And yes, we move along. <laughs> Next. I didn't write this. He did. <laughs> I hate saying it. Dear <laughs> Master of Disney Mangello. That is not <laughs> my <a> new one. <laughs> I just, I first started listening to your podcast when my fiance and I decided we wanted a Disney honeymoon. I've been there a couple of times, but this will be my fiance's first time. And I am super pumped to take her. Thank you very much for all you do. It really helps those of us who have never traveled before on their own. As such, I have a few questions, which I'm sure you've answered before. But if you could point me to the correct episode, I'd be much appreciated. Don't worry about it. You're getting your own answer. Here you go. First of all, uh, here you go. Do you have any suggestions for a nice restaurant that participates in the meal plan? (laughs) I've always been a burger and fries guy, Pecos Bills. But I know my fiance would love to have a nice romantic meal at least once during the work. Yeah, you got to hook her up with, with a good meal. I'd kind of like it for it to be at one of the parks because I want to spend as much time as possible there. Our trip is March 23rd through the 29th, so I really need to start getting our reservations in quick. My fiance is Italian, skip Tony's, and I noticed there's an Italian <laughs> restaurant. Hey. In, I'm kidding. I kid because I love. In each park, okay. except for the Animal Kingdom, true, because Pizza Fari cannot be considered Italian food. Is there any one of those that you would consider the best? Also, do any of the restaurants on site have any kind of a dress code? Should we go back to our room and change clothes before going to one of these restaurants? He's got lots of questions. We're going to stop and take this one first. He wants... Sit down, nice a nice sit down restaurant in the park, and he wants Italian. Let me handle the Italian part, would you please? Okay, okay, okay. Backing off, all yours. Tutto Italia, in Italy. I I also have a vowel at the end of my name. I really <laughs> like Tutto Italia. I had a very nice romantic dinner there not so long ago uh, with Steve Barrett from Hidden Mickey's, <laughs> but. The food was wonderful. The service was exceptional. We, we had a wonderful server, um, had a nice bottle of wine, um, very, very nice setting inside. And I, I just think World Showcase at night, strolling along the, the promenade is just beautiful. So she'll get the full sort of whole romantic package in there. But Becky, give us another suggestion for a meal plan restaurant in the parks that he can wow his fiance with. Well, of course, if you're just focused on the Italian, yeah, Tutto, Tutto Italia was my first because, of course, at night, and like you said, walking through that is a very romantic time, and then you've got um, illuminations as well that if you time that right, you can come out and watch the fireworks. Really cool. Uh, for another choice, Mama Melrose over at Hollywood Studios is another uh, Italian choice that I like. Uh, it's uh, kind of back off in the side, and it's it's really authentic, and I enjoyed that as well. And of course, both of those restaurants do participate in the dining plan. 
right? Mama Melrose is a little bit more casual, but you don't really mm-hmm. need to get dressed up for Tutto Italia. You can, you want to, you know, again, you want to impress the fiance. Mm-hmm. You can get <laughs> dressed up, put on something nice, but you want to be comfortable too. But you, you can walk in with shorts, you know, as long as you're not wearing tank tops and flip flops and all that kind of stuff. So, right. And to address his dress code question, some of the what they call the signature restaurants, you'll see that in your guide about the dining plan that you have. Um, those are one that more upscale, like say Gico and Artist Point, Yachtsman, California Grill. They have what they call a business casual dress code, um, which basically means no shorts, torn jeans, <laughs> that type of thing. Um, all the rest of them are pretty much uh, casual. So if in doubt, just be sure to, to ask when you make your ADR. The only one, only restaurant on property that has the jacket required is, of course, Victorian Alberts, um, which is, of course, is a more formal um, atmosphere. But for the restaurants you're speaking about here, there's no real dress code involved. Yeah, and save the Victorian Alberts for either when you do something wrong or for like a five-year <laughs> anniversary kind of thing. That, that, you can't get much better than that on property, I will tell you. So, Oh, smart man, smart man. <laughs> Brian, you can tell I've been married for like 10 years. All right. He's got more. (laughs) But wait, there's more. He has more questions. He said, I took your advice and booked our room at Port Orleans French Quarter. Nice. And since it will be our honeymoon, I do expect to spend some quality time there. So thank you for that. I think you're really going to like that. Very small, very intimate, very romantic. Anyway, are there any other romantic aspects of the world that a couple honeymooning should make sure they participate in? We don't drink, and we've never really done any nightclubs. Plus, I want to be able to spend as much time as possible in the parks. So I'm not sure if there's really anything more for us, but any help would be great. To show you, Becky, what a true romantic I am, I am going to just lead off. You're at Port Orleans French Quarter. There's cool stuff you can do right there. Carriage ride at night down the Sasagula. Beautiful. Right? Boat ride down the Sasagula or a carriage ride at night. Romantic. Don't see, come very. On, sound a little bit more enthusiastic <laughs> about it. All right, fine. You very, know what? Very, very good choice. Uh huh. Fine. Do a do a private illuminations cruise. There you go. Two words: breathless. Go oh, to the yes. yacht club or marina. Take out breathless for like a sunset cruise. That is awesome. Uh, you know what else? Little, little different. Do tandem parasailing at the Contemporary. That's a really good choice. Huh? Come on. Watch the electrical. I'm I'm going. I'm I am. I'm in touch. I'm in (laughs) touch with my romantic sign. Watching the electrical water pageant from the beach of the Polynesian. That was one that I had on my list Mm -hmm. for this. That is definitely a great suggestion. Doesn't cost you a thing. It's very romantic. Um, Sitting there at night and watching the parade go by. It's it's awesome. You ready for this? Uh You really want to wow her? Go to the spa together. And do like one of the couples massage things and spend like an afternoon at the spa. She will love you for that. I am telling you, (laughs) Brian, you are set if you do that. Uh, Wow. Absolutely. Lou, I I hate to put you on the spot here, but how many of these have you actually done with Deanna? None. Zero. (laughs) (laughs) Steve Barrett and I, we do them all the time. (laughs) Glenn Whalen and I have gone on Breathless more than I've gone with Deanna. (laughs) 
Oh, wow. All right. I'm going to slowly back away from that point. And, and also include, if you want to make do a special surprise for her too, check out DisneyFlorist.com because you can actually pre-order a gift that you can have put in the room that will surprise her as well, which might be kind of cool between, um, you know, flowers, roses, all kinds of little special trinkets you can have that you just open the door and walk in and there's, you know, this gift for her, which would really set the stage. And you know, Brian, really, nothing really says I love you um, like a complete set of audio guides to Walt. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. Listen, but Brian has one more you question. You were doing so well. You I were know, doing so I know. Well. Anyway, he says, is there any way to find out what attractions will be down, what days, so we can plan our schedule accordingly? I'm really excited to see the refurbs of my two favorite attractions, the Haunted Mansion and Pirates, so hopefully they won't be down since they just went through such big refurbs recently. Thanks for your time. Sorry for the long email. No apologies necessary. If I've answered these before, direct me to the rec- podcast. No, you get your own answers. Uh, I've been trying to listen to all your back episodes, but you're right. It is a daunting task, and I'm running out of time. <laughs> no laughing over there. Thanks Sorry. for all you do. Hope to hear from you soon. That's from Brian Clutter from Ohio. Uh, I suggest really going to the Disney website. They have a calendar there. Actually, on their new site, it's even easier to find what attractions will be down when. Yeah, and also many of the fan sites that are out there that many of us um, go to, including like I use allairs.net, um, that has a whole list of the the rehabs and refurbs that are scheduled for the year. So it's it's pretty easy information to uh, to find. Cool. Moving on. This email comes all the way from Ontario, Canada, and it's from Dan Williams. He says, I have a question for you. Hope that you don't mind answering. I was reading through your bio, uh uh-oh, on your website, and it says you're a graduate of the College of Disney Knowledge and that you are a Disney specialist. Disney specialist indicates a travel professional with special knowledge of Disney destinations. I was wondering if you could elaborate on what these two things are, how one could go about getting these designations, what kind of schooling is required as a prerequisite, and just basically anything you could tell me about them. I'm very intrigued about the concept. I did some research, but only found little pieces of information with vague descriptions, but nothing that really said what these are in any detail. Again, that's from Dan Williams. Becky, this is just, I, I you're screaming to answer this one, especially <laughs> since I took all the romantic stuff. So, Yeah. The, in general, the College of Disney Knowledge is, is a Disney 101 correspondence course that's available exclusively for travel professionals to educate them on the basics of uh, like the various resorts, the cruise line, theme parks, package options, etc. You have to be um, in the travel industry or credited as a travel agent to to enroll um here at Mouse Fan Travel, of course, our agents complete the program right when they join us. So each of our 50 affiliates are graduates of this course. And we have the, the option of continuing the education um, that Disney provides other training opportunities as well to keep us uh, up and going. But it is something that's it's pretty much exclusive to travel professionals. And it's almost as hard as the bar exam. <laughs> Close. But it's a lot more wow. fun. To, it's a lot more fun to study for. I, I was going to say, I, I definitely <laughs> like the coursework a little bit better, and the on-site education is, is some of the the you know the fun homework that you get to do. And I'm still researching my degree, so I continue to go back and research. Yeah, I'm waiting for the masters. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. This comes from Alex, aka Cream Bunny, on the forums. She says, "Hey Lou, still in love with the show, but just one question." 
I've noticed on Small World how animatronics are taken out from time to time while not doing a rehab, like how hula dancers, my favorite part, have often disappeared for time and the cowboy and Native American in the last room were gone for a really long time. Anyways, Small World is the only attraction I know of that I could tell that an audio animatronics was missing. Do other attractions take out the animatronics when the ride is still operating? I know this question sounds really weird, not really, but I'm curious about this. I enjoy this show very much. Keep up the good work. Again, that's from Alex. Alex, you are very observant, and uh, believe it or not, Small World is not the only attraction where every now and then they will sort of swap out animatronics here and there, and sometimes you have to be very observant to pick it up. One that I notice it happens, or it has happened in the past a number of times, is over in Spaceship Earth, um, especially not long after the refurb. There were the musicians in the Renaissance scene um, playing the, um, I don't know what he was playing. He was playing a little guitar mandolin thingy up on the balcony. They were gone. And the paper boy, uh, the paper boy in the printing press scene used to be facing your car, holding a newspaper, saying extra, extra, read all about it. Then he disappeared for a while. And then he came back, but he was facing the wall. The other way, Yeah, but now he's like all the way in the back, in the corner, which kind of gave me that creepy end of the Blair Witch Project kind of feel to it. So (laughs) he's looking the other way, but he's there. But yeah, every now and then they will swap it out. Now what, you know, these are are sort of secondary characters or secondary figures. But there are sometimes that if a prominent figure known as a 101 figure like the auctioneer and pirates if he goes down they will actually shut down the ride completely they will not let the ride go on if one of those characters goes down right because it would it would impact the show and it would make for a bad show so they want to make sure to uh keep the um the elements up to par up to the quality of the attraction that that we so know and love and you're saying the paper boy isn't quite as good as the auctioneer? <laughs> well, I, you know what? The funny part about that paper boy is I just, I was just there and I noticed that. I was like, wait a minute. What's he doing way over there in the corner? And why am I looking at the back of his head this time? So, yes, very observant. Good questions. And, of course, I can imagine that obviously they had the standard refurb schedule to keep things up to up to par. But if something doesn't quite fit the way that it should to make for a good experience in the attraction, they remove and repair those elements. Absolutely. And it's better that they do that than having sort of the attraction go down uh, yeah. you know, for days on end. All right. Next email says, Lou, my name is Victoria and I'm almost 16. I'm a new fan of your show. And since about mid-July, talking to my mom about what you talk about, she called some of my family members and we're going to Disney World. And I'm very excited because I haven't been since I was eight years old. And now my little sister is eight and now it's her turn. And Victoria Becky has two questions. We'll take them one at a time. The first concerns her fanatical obsession with Becky uh, with Tinkerbell. <laughs> I this is her saying this, not me. I love big emphasis on love here. Tinkerbell with a passion. Is there any place where I can go to get anything all Tinkerbell all the time, or where I can get Tinkerbell souvenirs for me? And I have I have multiple answers for you. And I I bet you do. You've got like a a little girl that is really into that type of thing. The only one that's coming and I'm going to throw the only one that I'm thinking of right off the top of my head out there, because if you have many, many more, you you can kind of pop in there. But the Tinkerbell's treasure in Fantasyland um, would have great things to look at. And of course, 
don't miss the Tinkerbell that's flying through the store. It took somebody having to point that out to me to actually realize that it was there. And I've also heard rumor that if you are one of the first to enter the store in the morning, you might, emphasis on might, be selected to let Tinkerbell out of her room. And that's exactly where I was going to go. I mean, Victoria, Tinkerbell's Treasures, it's, that's got you written all over it. But they actually, it's, it just reopened after a long refurb. And they've changed the look and feel of the store. And I was very disappointed at first because they used to have a chest of drawers, just like from the Peter Pan movie, where you could peek in the keyhole and you could see sort of Tinkerbell flying along the walls and landing in, into the drawer, peek in the keyhole to try and see her. That's gone, but it's been replaced by something even better. And you're right, when you go in, pay very close attention to what you see going on on the walls and what you hear and ask the cast members where they can help you find Tinkerbell. And uh, they have an amazing effect right behind one of the counters. You got to check it out. And of course, you want to meet you want to meet her yourself, I'm sure. Yeah. Two words, baby. Pixie Hollow over uh-huh. in Mickey's Toontown Fair. You can meet Tinkerbell and all of her fairy friends. What do you think about that? And you'll be shrunk down to the size of a pixie. <laughs> you will. Awesome. Don't laugh. You will. I'm sorry. That's you great. All right. But listen, her second question is about her younger family members, because she's the big girl now. So she's concerned about her little sister. She has to watch her little sister and twin cousins for a while at Fort Wilderness and again while at Animal Kingdom for an hour and a half. What activities does Fort Wilderness offer and what can I do at Animal Kingdom to keep them entertained until lunchtime? Thanks for keeping my summer less boring and doing what you do. All right. So she wants to know about Animal Kingdom and Fort Wilderness. Uh, I'll, I'll let you take one and I'll take the other. How's that? Well, I, I was thinking of Fort Wilderness right off the top of my head when you had mentioned that. And the first place I was thinking about was the petting zoo over mm-hmm. at the Tricycle D Ranch. Um, that's the one location that I can think of to spend some time. I, I love that type of thing. <laughs> I just can't, can't help myself. I love animals. So that's probably the, the thing I would think of for Fort Wilderness. Yeah, that's the first thing that came to my mind. Um, it, it, it There's, you know, the, the petting zoo, there's pony rides. I'm not sure if you're going to uh-huh. be able to let them go on the pony rides. There's also an arcade. There's a playground there. So if they want to just go outside and, and, and run around a little bit, there's a playground. Um, too bad you're not going at night because I always think about the, the Chippendale Campfire sing-along. That oh, I think yeah. You know, you can always just take them to eat at Trails End Buffeteria. That's a good hour and a half right there of grazing <laughs> down the buffet. <laughs> Um, over in Animal Kingdom, I think you can almost isolate yourself over to Camp Mini Mickey because there's a lot of stuff to do there. There's character meet and greets. You can go see the Festival of the Lion King show. Um, it's, it's a nice kind of place to walk around. Or maybe you can go over to um, Dino Land, take them on Triceratops Spin. I don't know really how old the younger twin cousins are, so trying to dif- think of different things. And there's the games you can play at uh, Chester and Hester's Dino-Rama. And again... <clears throat> There's many places to eat in Animal Kingdom. <laughs> right. And, of course, not knowing how old uh, the, the cousins are, um, there's also, if they're a little younger, there's the Boneyard over in D- Dino Land if you kind of just want to stay in one spot and and not have to worry about watching them run all over the place. But you can also take them on one of the trail walks uh, to see the animals. True. Very good. See, all right, Becky, you're doing all right. Let's move on. Thank you. Let's move on to a question from a person whose name I did not write down, but he says, he says, thanks for a great podcast. And on to my question. My wife and I will be visiting the world in February. We have a couple of, we have been a couple of times previously. This time we're going to be joined by my wife's mother. 
this creates a potential issue for rides. None of us are overly large. Rather, I would call the three of us average adults. My question is as follows. Which attractions will require that we split up when we ride them? Obviously, we'd like to stay together as much as possible. I've searched pictures on the internet, but haven't seen many definitive photos of ride vehicles that illustrate whether or not a third adult can be squeezed in. We go on virtually everything, so all attractions are in play. Any help you can provide would be very much appreciated. Uh, again, wow. <laughs> Where do you start? Um Personally, for me, there's so many ride vehicles that are front to back where you've got um, a seat in front and one in back and you can easily put two adults in the front and one in back. So it's you're still together, but you're not squeezed in like sardines. Um, I have made the mistake of trying to put three adults in a, in a seat and it sometimes just doesn't make for a very comfortable experience. <laughs> but then there's the larger ride vehicles, for example, over at the Safari, which, you know, easily fit four adults across. So um, any... What are your thoughts, Lou? You know, I'm going to give you a lawyer answer here because (laughs) split up, you know, in air quote, is really a relative term. Um, A lot of times you may be able to get in the same boat or the same train, but you might not be able to sit side by side. Um, I'm thinking like Peter Pan's flight. um, Rides like that, you might not be able to fit three adults in. Same thing like with the doom buggies. It's it's iffy. You got to really sort of love your neighbor if you want to try and squeeze three adults in there. you know, there, there's like a Pirates of the Caribbean boat. You might not all be able to sit in the same row, but you can, you know, you all at least probably make it into the same boat. So, and I, I really don't know of any place online that has sort of attraction by attraction photos of all the ride vehicles. I'm sure if you do a search, you'll start to get familiar with some. I think your best bet is probably as you go through the attractions or to some of the attractions, you'll be able to see uh, which you'll have to, you know, like I said, rides like Dumbo. If you're going to ride Dumbo, you're not going to fit three adults in. Peter Pan's flight might be tough, but I think for the most part, um, you should be able to ride together, if not side by side. And Becky, we, we're running dangerously close to like the six-hour podcast mark, so we're gonna we're gonna end it with this last email here. It says, "Lou, I'm planning a trip down to Disney, and knowing how much my wife loves the Cirque show, I'm planning on surprising her with tickets. That's something else that Brian could have done: take her to Cirque du Soleil in downtown Disney." <laughs> You may be able to meet up with, with John and his wife. Um, there you go. Uh, we have a four-year-old, however, and I think he may be a bit young to actually sit through it. I, I tend to agree with you. Four might be just sort of on the cusp there. Mm-hmm. I know that, di- plus it gives you a chance for a romantic evening. Uh, I know that Disney offers babysitting services, probably in room, and was wondering if you have any experience with them or if you have any opinions one way or the other. Thanks. Keep up the great work. Good luck on the magazine. That comes from John Shar. John, right off the bat, I have to tell you that I personally have not used Disney's babysitting services. Um, I have always been the way too overprotective father. It took me years (laughs) before I let my parents watch my kids. I'm on their own. Um, But I can tell you about a service that is recommended by Walt Disney World and one that I've heard from other people that they've used with very, very much success. And that's Kids Night Out. Right. And uh, well, we've had a lot of clients that take advantage of the service. And it's not it's not Disney. It's but however, Disney does recommend them as their their preferred provider for in-room babysitting services. And uh, the clients have reported they've been very happy with the uh, the quality and the, the level of care and concern that they um, that they show. So Kids Night Out is probably the, the one service that I would recommend as well. Yeah, and and like and again to be clear, it, it's not a Disney service per se. It isn't outside 
third party. Um, they do offer in-room services. Um, they they you can even not just for a couple of hours, but they'll do it for even you know longer days. I'll put a link to the Kids Night Out website in the show notes. But if you want more information, you can call 800-696-8105. Like I said, they do do one-on-one child care. All of the sitters are over 18 years of age. They're also certified in CPR, which I think is very, very important. Um, And you can make reservations up to two months in advance. Just a quick idea about pricing. One child is $16 per hour. You can actually go for groups of up to more than four kids. So maybe if you're going with another couple. Um, after 9 o'clock, there's a $2 per hour additional charge. And it's for kids who are six weeks old up to 12 years old. And there's also a $10 transportation fee. There's a four-night minimum. There's other conditions. Again, I suggest calling or visiting the website to, um, to find out more information directly. And also look online. Uh, talk to maybe some other people that may have used the services and find out what their experiences have been. So, Becky Mankin, um, that's going to do it for this week. We, we, I always think that we're going to get through more, but you keep going back to food over and over and over again. Oh. I have to get you back on track, and uh, and here we are at the <laughs> end of this week. I promise next email. time. I, I, will, I will behave myself better next time, I promise. Well, I appreciate all of your help and your wit and your insight. It is always a pleasure to have you here in the studio. And uh, again... For more information or if you want a free, no-obligation quote from Becky or one of her other many, many talented agents over at Mouse Fan Travel, please go and visit mousefantravel.com. And Becky Mankin, thank you again so very much. Thanks, Lou. It's always great to be here. Breakfast at the Wave, baby. Breakfast at the Wave. (laughs) I'm taking you up on it. It's time once again for our weekly Walt Disney World Trivia Contest. And before I get to this week's new contest, I want to go ahead, announce the winner of last week's contest, and give you the answers to those trivia questions. Uh, I have to say, again, I'm amazed at not only the number of responses that I got, but how many of you got all three of those and the bonus questions right. I'm starting to wonder if it's time that I start making these just a little bit more difficult. But... Let's recap last week's questions and the answers. First, it was Super Bowl Sunday last week. Cardinals, oh so close. Uh, And I start off with a question, obviously, it was about the Super Bowl, and it was, who was the first person to ever say, I'm going to Disney World after winning a professional sports championship? And what team did he play for? This should have been a no-brainer. I am a Jersey guy. I bleed big blue. It was Phil Simms from the New York Football Giants after winning the Super Bowl in 1987. For the second question, I said, East, West, North, and South, all roads led to my very bad impersonation of Jeremy Irons, who said, East, West, North, and South, all roads led to Rome. I need some serious work on my accent. And for the third question, I talked about Journey into Imagination and asked you what was the name of the interactive play area upstairs from the original ride, and that was ImageWorks. Remember the old, it was called the Creative Playground of the Future. It had things like 
Figment's coloring book, uh, the Dreamfinder School of Drama, all the different kaleidoscopes, the bubble music projectors, the magic palette. I actually covered this in great detail back on show 29 uh, on August 26th, 2007. If you're interested, go back and check that out. And the bonus question was, the orchestra at Muppet Vision 3D is made up of a whole bunch of penguins. Who is the conductor? And it is Nicky Napoleon and his emperor penguins. Uh, that's the name of the orchestra. But of course, you didn't need to get that bonus question right. If you got the, the first three questions right, you were thrown into the pool with the other correct entries. And I randomly selected a winner. And this week, it is from right up the street in Colonia, New Jersey, Valerie Tennant. So, Valerie, congratulations. You win the 2009 Walt Disney World Trivia Page-A-Day Calendar, a copy of the Main Street Audio Guide on CD, the all-new WDW Radio Show button, and the Mickey Ears from Brett from the Montanel. And for getting the bonus question right, you also get a dream lanyard with pins. So, congratulations. Please send me your address, and I'll get those prizes right out to you. But that was last week. Time to look forward, and uh, as my friend Timon says you got to put your past behind you. So let's look towards this week's new trivia contest. And unlike last week and in prior weeks, I'm not going to give you three questions. I'm not going to give you four questions. You're getting five questions this week and a bonus. And there's sort of a theme that runs through it that you might be able to pick up. And uh, there's a couple of reasons why I'm doing it. One, I'm going to be gone next week, so there's not going to be a trivia contest. So you'll now have two weeks to answer this one, plus... All of you have been getting all the questions right. Want to give you a little bit more of a challenge this week. So get ready. Here's the first of your five trivia questions, and stay tuned for the bonus question as well. First, what is the only Disney film represented by audio animatronic characters and figures in the Great Movie Ride? Number two, who or what is or was Pippa? P-I-P-A. And no, it's not Regis's pet name for Kelly Ripa. Number three. In the last scene of Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress, what is the name of the video game that Jimmy and Grandma are playing? Number four. You may have never noticed this before, and I always tell you to take your time and look around and up and down, but there's a ship moored behind the American Gardens Theater in World Showcase. What is her name? And four, who or what is Big Bertha? And the bonus question, which you do not need to get right in order to be thrown into the pool if you get the other five correct, is this. And if you get this right, you get a bonus prize. Some of Walt Disney World's most overlooked and wonderful experiences take place along its many waterways and on its lakes. And that's been true since its earliest days. And in fact, one of the most unique watercraft was an authentic Chinese junk. What was her name and where was she docked? So to quickly recap, first question, the only Disney film represented by audio animatronics figures in the great movie ride. Two, who or what is or was Pippa. Number three, what's the name of the video game that Jimmy and his grandma are playing in the last scene of Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress? Number four, the name of the ship docked behind the America Gardens Theater and World Showcase. And number five, 
Who or what is Big Bertha? And the bonus question is, the name and location where you could have found a Chinese junk in Walt Disney World. Now, the winner this week is going to get not only the 2009 Page A Day calendar and Main Street on CD, I'm also going to throw in Adventureland on CD, The Button, The Dream Mickey Ears, and if you get the bonus question right, you also get a bonus prize as well. As I said, I'm going to be away next week, so there is going to be a show, but I'm not. I'm going to have to produce it early, so there, I'm not going to be able to do another contest next week. So you now have until 11.59 p.m. on Saturday, February 21st, 2009, to email your answers to Lou at wdwradio.com. If you can, if you could put contest in the subject header, that would be great. Remember, there's only going to be one winner this week. It will be randomly selected, so it's not important to be first. It's important to be right. I'm really having a good time putting these trivia contests together for you. I hope you're enjoying them, so have fun and good luck. That's going to do it for this week's show. I had a lot of fun this week. hope you did as well. Thanks again to Ryan Wilson from MainStreetGazette.com, as well as Becky Mankin from Mouse Fan Travel, as well as everybody who emailed the show this week. Please keep sending your questions in to Lou at WDWRadio.com, or if you want to be heard on the air, you can call the toll-free voicemail at 888-703-2171. And huge, huge thanks to everybody who joined me for last week's WDW Radio Live on Friday night. I had a great time, and almost 200 of you joined me in the chat room from really all over the world. We had people there from Japan, England, Scotland, Australia, New Jersey. I I certainly didn't think we would go as long or as late as we did last time, but I was very, very much mistaken as we were still going pretty strong after 3 a.m. Eastern, after about seven hours of doing the show. So I appreciate all of you joining me hanging with me, whether it was for five minutes or for seven hours. We will definitely do this again, and I'll schedule something sometime very soon. If you're not sure what WDW Radio Live is, it is a real-time interactive video chat with audio where I'll be broadcasting, and you can come into the text chat room, ask questions, talk to me, talk to other listeners as well. It's a lot of fun, very casual. If you come late, don't worry. In the past, I've done this uh, sort of very spontaneous, just put the link up, invited people to come in. And while I still might do that sort of a random chat here and there, I am going to try and start scheduling these things a little bit in advance. I'll post those on the site, in the forums. The best way to follow is probably through Twitter. I'll be posting those on Twitter. Again, you can head on over to twitter.com, sign up for a free account. You can follow all of my updates right from there. I'll also post that on Facebook. So come on over, be my friend over on Facebook. Also become a fan of the WDW Radio Show group. There I'll be posting these as events as far as uh, the live chats and other things I'll be doing. Uh, If you are a fan of the WDW Radio page, come on over, join the group as well. That's where I'm going to try and post all the events in the future. Again, Facebook is free. Links to Twitter and Facebook are going to be in this week's show notes. Speaking of other events that are coming up, the next meet of the month is scheduled for this Friday, February 13th. So if you're going to be down in Walt Disney World, Come on by, say hi, over at Disney's Animal Kingdom in the Flame Tree Barbecue. We'll probably be sitting down in the lower seating area, down by the river, starting at 12 noon. 
Again, something very casual. Come by, say hi. Maybe we'll play some games, have some lunch, whatever. If you can't make it, no worries. Again, I'm going to be doing these meets every month uh, for the rest of the year. So stay tuned for March and future dates as well. I'll post those on the show, in Twitter, Facebook, in the forums, pretty much everywhere I can. Quick note about Celebrations Magazine. It is at the printers. So if you are a subscriber, you can start looking for it soon. If you're not a subscriber, come on by and subscribe over at celebrationspress.com. If you haven't received Issue 2, you can go back, order a copy of Issue 2 there. Uh, Unfortunately, Issue 1 is sold out, but you can still get Issue 2 as well. Also, head on over to the shop at disneyworldtrivia.com. There you can get my 2009 Walt Disney World Trivia page-a-day calendar, still just $5. Both Walt Disney World Trivia books, the Main Street and Adventureland audio guide on CD or download. Again, downloads, just $5. Check out the link, disneyworldtrivia.com. Thanks also to my partners and sponsors, including All-Star Vacation Homes. Actually, I'll be staying at an All-Star Vacation Home this week. Really looking forward to that. You can visit them at allstarvacationhomes.com and Mouse Fan Travel, my official and recommended travel provider for all of your Disney vacation planning needs. You'll find links to both of these as well as some of my other partners at the website at wdwradio.com. I've been hinting over the past couple of weeks about some uh, things I have coming. I promise over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be making some announcements and rolling out some new things. So definitely stay tuned for that. Don't forget to comment on, talk about the show, visit the forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Come by, join the group on Facebook, follow me on Twitter. And as always, if you want to help and if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Review us on iTunes. Very much appreciated. And of course, everybody, thank you for taking the time and joining me for the live show this week, as well as for listening to the show each and every week. I really, really do appreciate it. So until next time, always keep moving forward. See ya. Hi, this is Minnie V calling calling you in front of the American Idol experience. And the reason I'm so excited is I am going to the big show. I'm in the 1 o'clock. I can't believe it. I don't know what I've gotten myself into, but I'll certainly let everyone know how it comes out. Come back for me. <laughs> Bye-bye. Hey, Lou. This is Beth. Um, I just got off the WDW Radio Live webcast. So much fun for the first time. Uh, I'll definitely tune in again next week. Sorry, only could make it till 12.30. Just had one thing I wanted to share to you, and that's this. Sweet Caroline. Bum, bum, bum. It was a lot of fun. See you later. Bye. Hey, Lou. It's uh, the Todd from Rochester, Minnesota. We're just online with you right now watching your live broadcast. And, uh, you're looking for some singers, so here we go. Sweet Caroline, but good times never seem so good, so good, so good, so good. Hey Lou, it's Mikey. We're in the, the WDW radio show live chat right now, and you just played Sweet Caroline, and I'm standing outside the bathroom, and I'm about to bust it on Lauren and make her sing it from the shower. Ready? Three, two, one. Hey, babe. <laughs> Lou Mangiello wants you to sing Sweet Caroline. Sing it right now. What? Lou Mangiello wants you to sing Sweet Caroline. Sing it right now. Sing it right now. <laughs> sing it. Sweet Caroline. <laughs> okay, that's good enough. All right, Lou. Uh, that was for you. See you later, buddy. Bye.
Hi, Lou. This is Diana from Ocean Springs. Um, I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller, um, Ocean Springs, Mississippi. But we just got back from a trip last week. It was really cold for about four days, below freezing, but it was really great just the same. Um, we just saw the new parade the day before we left. Um, it was really good. We really liked the music. Um, I liked the float. We got a chance to see both of the parades the first day we got there and the day before we left. Um, but we did get to see the ambassadors, so that was really neat because I'd heard about them on your show, so I actually got to see them. But um, we also had our most special moment since we've been going to Disney. This is um, our fifth time. But um, we went to California Grill the night before we left, and we got to see wishes from the um, from the window. And amazing meal, great service, um, great place to sit. And I choked up sitting right there. But um, it was it was really neat and awesome experience and a great way to end the trip before we left. Um, and we also got to see the Keys to the Kingdom tour, and I did get to see the um, room keys and doorbells, well, I guess room bells, in the um, Haunted Mansion entrance. So that was really neat, too. Um, so thanks for all your tips, and love the show, and can't wait to hear more. Bye. Hey, Lou, this is John Beal from Zionsville, Indiana, and I just got back from Walt Disney World, and we had a couple of interesting experiences because... I was wearing my I'm Celebrating button, and I was waiting to get into the park, and one of the cast members asked me um, what I was celebrating, and I told him, I was like, well, I was accepted into my first choice college, and he was asking me what, you know, I was going to be doing, and I was like, well, I want to study operations management, so in my dream is to work in park operations here at Disney, and it turns out that the, that cast member was um, one of the heads, he was the head of uh, park operations for uh, Main Street USA. And so he actually asked me to come back later at 2.30, and he kind of, he walked me down the whole parade route and kind of told me about what his job was like and, you know, how, how what I should be doing so I can help, or to, so I can be in park operations. It was really cool. It was really interesting talking to someone who is doing something that, like, I wanted to do, and, you know, we, we also got to be in a, he, he gave us, he put us in, a, like, a, the, the best seat of the house for the parade, like a special private section, and he even, even gave us a fast pass for any ride that we wanted to go on, so it's pretty awesome, uh, and it was all just because of the, uh, the I'm Celebrating button. All right, love the show, bye. Hey, Lou, this is John from Vessel, New York, and my wife and three boys and I just returned from a great week at Walt Disney World the last week of January, and, um, uh, you know, we rented a house off-site, which I would highly recommend to anybody who's got a family of five or more like we do, plenty of room, our own private heated pool, and it was, uh, I think, even still a little bit less than the uh, rates for staying at the, at the property. The crowds were great, uh, pretty light, as I hoped they would be the last week of January, the one exception, on Monday at Hollywood Studios, it was pretty busy. And uh, I think the reason was that Fantasmic is now only shown, I think, twice a week, and that was one of the nights. And that's why we went that day, and it was pretty packed. We ended up going back the next day on Tuesday, and it was very light, and we got to do a bunch of the things that we only got to do once the first day and some things we had missed. Uh, and I've heard you and your guests and even some callers talk about what makes Disney World special. And for me, it's the live entertainment. I mean, there's lots of really good theme parks throughout this country and the world, but the live entertainment at Disney is world-class, top-notch. I mean, the, the Beauty and the Beast live on stage at Hollywood Studios, for me, I could pay my admission, walk in, 
watch that 25-minute show and leave and feel like I've gotten my money's worth. That was a phenomenal Broadway-quality play of Beauty and the Beast. The new 3 p.m. Uh, daily parade, Dreams Come True at the Magic Kingdom, absolutely phenomenal. We had a great viewing spot. Uh, it's just everything that Disney is. It was just world-class. You can't get that kind of entertainment anywhere else. The Pixar Parade, phenomenal. Festival of the Lion King, just phenomenal live entertainment. So for me, that's one of the things that you can get at Disney that you just can't get at any other theme park. Anyway, great vacation, as always. Um, we, we don't do this very often, so it was really special, once-in-a-lifetime thing, and absolutely loved it. Great show, Lou. And by the way, thanks for the tip. We went to La Cellier Steakhouse. Uh, the cheddar cheese soup was phenomenal. Have a great day. Whew.